item. What two podcasters were seen spilling the tea and poking their way down some cinematic rabbit holes at a trendy Lower Manhattan media production facility? Our spies ID'd a certain CK and JC doing their patented FCACIMDBDD. An unnamed source, closely related to someone who knows the lady whose sons do one of the podcasting prince's hair, says that their next cinematic subject is sensationally soapy, yet filtered through a legal procedural sieve, which leaves an end product that is a meditation on truth, love, and justice. So that was like your sort of 90s gossipy intro. Walter Winchell for an internet age. So you're mixing up your eras. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Come on. (laughs) What's the connection (laughs) between? Nothing matters anymore. Oh, I see. Time is a flat circle. Okay. What's the connection between? Well, sure, you're going like, maybe maybe I watched the wrong movie. Did you watch the 1924 yeah, reversal of fortune? success? Time to put some medications in mommy's coffee. Yeah, they see they, but they treated that very differently. Something in, doesn't uh, seem right about this the scene. Fourth. No, we're doing what is it? 1991. 1990. Wow. 1990s reversal of fortune. How do you say the director's name, Chris? Uh, I say it, Barbette Schroeder. Ah, okay, Barbette. That's what I say. But of course, I've never met the man. He's Swiss, I believe. Uh, Born in Iran. Yes. But then I saw that he said he was Swiss. That's how he self-identifies. If he's Swiss, it's got to be Barbet. Yeah, I think you're right. I think it is Barbet Schroeder. Yeah. Schroeder. Schroeder. You know what it is? Because I think we always want to not pronounce it. It's like with Meme. Always want to not pronounce that T. Nobody ever wants to say Meme. (laughs) I certainly I think every time it comes up, it seems to. (laughs) David Meme. Stepan. Does it come up anymore? That's Chris, meanings, meanings. That's upon Chris giving a silent. That's what what Chris's silent, nearly silent gesture meant was, "Hey, I might go out for a roll one day. I, <laughs> You're not going to catch me saying anything bad I'm about not the guy." About David Mamet, lovely man, I am sure. Uh, do you know you have Mamedian glasses on today? Thank you. Oh, that's right. Yes, actually, I was thinking of just like uh, in the style up, but no, yeah, that's right. That's yeah. what he actually wears. I think you're wearing a, sort of a horn rimmed circular. I don't know how you would describe those. I mean, I always describe them as the ones that. Uh, now, do you wear eyeglasses every day? No. Well, I see you every day, so I know. <laughs> but do you wear that's them? That's a leading question. Do you counselor. wear them for reading or? I wear them for a distance. Okay. Because I'm going to see a show tonight. So you're nearsighted? Yes. Okay, so like me, you have, and I don't mean this critically, you have a large head. Um, yeah. And you have a you have a you have a large face. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Now put those glasses on. To make it look bigger. I, or did smaller. you select these yourself? Yes. <laughs> yes, I did. Okay. I mean, this is just my two cents, which is, of course, just in this market I mean, just, worth only about one. I've, I've worn eyeglasses since I was three years old. Uh-huh. Okay. And I've had a lot of external influence, which causes me to consider myself an eyeglass expert. Yes. Not in get, arrive in this myself. Okay. Those glasses are too small for your face. Yeah, okay. maybe. See, try, try this on. Okay. Now I'm giving Chris my, see, I have a, I have a very round, large face. Whoa. Okay, those are a much better size fit for your face. I can't uh-huh. see you because I'm <laughs> I'm blind now that I took but trust one off. Me. But that's a much better style fit for your face. You know, I did for years. Uh, you know, I had LASIK oh, you a did? bunch of years ago. And Jesus. it lasted for about 10 years. And then I have a very light prescription. Then you got to do it again? I'm not going to do it that's again. That's fucked up. But it's a light prescription, which is why I don't wear them all the time. And prior to it, I had glasses of a similar... Um, you know what I have here, Chris? I'm going to give this to you. So... Is it a pair of glasses? Well, it's five pairs of glasses. <laughs> no kidding. 
I'm not going to name the well-known online will send you glasses. You try them on. Right. You can send them back. Because this isn't like the cut rate Chinese one that my brother no, uses. Because these were supposedly delivered here, but they never showed up. So I contacted the vendor and said, hey, those try-ons never showed up. I see. They sent them to me again. And then two weeks later, they showed up again. So I've had these in my office ever since. And I think you should try this five pair set on and maybe you'll find a new size. Maybe I'll want it. Sure. Now you might need someone to advise you. Yes. I don't know if you have any trusted, you know. I don't trust anybody. Yeah, I know. Well, anyway, just something to think about. (laughs) Thank you very much. I appreciate the, uh, I appreciate the (laughs) effort. Well, when we're talking about a movie like Reversal of Fortune, everyone is so well-dressed and uh, (laughs) the hair is meticulously combed. Yes. 1990s Reversal of Fortune, Barbette Schroeder. I think just Schroeder, but you Schroeder, know, like the know? Charlie Brown character. Yes. Well, how do you say Schrodinger's cat? Isn't he Swiss? Uh, the cat? I don't. Yeah, I think it was a Persian. Who was Schrodinger? Uh, Schrodinger was some guy. He was a scientist, philosopher, maybe. I don't know. Mathematician, I bet. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, go, isn't the we'll cat the, the one difference? Where it's like if you put a cat in a box. Yeah, it's both you, dead and alive. But if you put a, a cat in a box. Where if you open it, the cat will die, will ele- be electrocuted and died. Okay. So it sort of lives in another region where it's both But it's alive, alive as long as you don't open the box. Yeah. So. But you don't know. Well, you don't know. It could have had a heart attack. Could be in there dead, but well, you don't know. Well, presumably you could hear it moving around in the box. I guess the. <laughs> this, is, this is the problem with you it's ivory tower box. academics. You, you devise these scenarios that in practicality. You would hear if the cat was in the box. I think the point is not the practicality of it. I mean, that's the whole point of having a hypothetical. It's an intellectual no, not, exercise. Not to me. Ah, I see. Well, <laughs> I, I think the point of a that hypothetical. That is a wall that you, that you run into. It's like, well, I can't argue with that. Uh, exactly. <laughs> These are the ABCs of me, Chris. I think a hypothetical exists only for me to wrestle it to the ground. Yes. And defeat it into a certainality. Now, why aren't you a lawyer then? I'm a lawyer of the minutia of everyday life. I'm here to litigate all the things I believe are important for all of us to agree upon. And look, luckily, now you don't have to just do it in your home. That's right. Because I can, of podcasting now technology. Now I can spread it to the world. Absolutely. As far yep. as Sweden, we have people Indeed. instituting uh, well, actually, much, Silovian philosophy. Much farther than that. In fact, maybe it's no coincidence that the podcast is becoming increasingly popular in some of the more restrictive countries around the world. <laughs> Maybe they find a certain they like a similarity to yeah. the dictatorial approach that I might take. <laughs> yeah, we are number one in <laughs> Kyrgyzstan. I don't know. Oh, huge in Kyrgyzstan. <laughs> huge in um, China, North Korea. Less so in South Korea. Less so in North South Korea. Korea. North Korea, very popular. Yeah. In fact, we were invited to do a tour of North Korea by the government. Oh, yeah? Podcasting tour. You didn't forward that email to me. Well. I would have taken it. You didn't pass security clearance. You know what it is? I went to see there was a, a heavy metal band. That did a tour of North Korea. Oh, sure. Yeah, that that's a good doc. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah, Leibach, so that's isn't why. it? Is it Leibach? So are we going to open for them? If yeah, I we're going to share the stage. It's going to be some Germanic death metal followed by... Uh, <laughs> followed by what, this nonsense. I thought we'd do that, this that Seth Rogen, uh, James Franco movie. Oh, killed, that would be good. Where they killed the dictator. That yeah, would go yeah. over well, uh, right? The interview. The interview. Well, as you can tell from all but, the stalling, folks, um, I, <laughs> I don't know if I have a lot to say about Reversal of Fortune. I mean, I love watching it again, but... Something about the 90s, man. I don't know. There's not much going on in the world. I don't know. It's a lot going on in the world, I guess, but sort of banal. I found it eminently watchable, and I was into it. Mm-hmm. And then there would be certain um, almost like speed bumps or something, things mm-hmm. that just sort of like stuck out as being like, oh, why, why, why do, do that? that? 
Or why'd you like have what? that scene? Like what? And then, but it, and it also looked in some ways, I'm just burying the lead. I'll get to that. It also in some ways looked like uh, Body Snatchers 93. There was something about the early 90s having a kind of overlit aesthetic that mm. looked almost TV-like. And I found that with this, it just looked a little overlit to me. Mm. This could have been a deliberate choice because... Yeah. I did like it, and I thought the the way it dealt with the nature of truth and gossip and all that. Like I thought sure. those things were interesting. Yeah, but there were some things about it that were actually quite uh, conventional and blah mm-hmm. for a movie that is so well regarded. And so specifically, the things like the parallel between Dershowitz and uh, I forget the name of Annabella Shiora's character and Sarah that yeah. relationship and attempting to make the parallels always felt really clunky. And oh, some I of see. the yeah, I didn't the really rom- pick up on that the parallels this, between Klaus and Sonny and. Sarah and Alan Dershowitz? Only in the sense that, you know, he- His work is his whole life. His work is his whole life. And Klaus's whole life is devoid of work. But on the other hand, the the Von Bulos, you get, or I get a sense, that there was a kind of compromise that they had come to, and Sarah and Dershowitz had not been able to come Mm. to that. And I think that there was some lingering bitterness. It's not the closest parallel, which is, I think, why Mm. it felt like, oh, you're trying to sell me on a parallel that maybe shouldn't be there. I didn't pick up on that particular one. Yeah, uh, but now that you mention it, it does seem obvious, which is and, probably why I missed it. Uh, and then there were a couple things, especially you know, obviously it's based on Alan Dershowitz's book of from Alan Dershowitz's point of view. It's a little hagiographic in the exactly. Dershowitz. Now, now, to be fair, you're probably viewing that a little bit through like 2018, 2019. Alan Dershowitz <laughs> could be, could right? be, because like when this movie came out, he was still sort of regarded as like a crusading fact finder, even through OJ. Like, you know, he's a prominent member of the O.J. Simpson defense team. Even through that, there was still enough that I felt you could hang on where we would rather 10 guilty murderers go free than one innocent one be convicted. Right. There was a lot of talk about that during the O.J. trial because it seemed to anyone. <laughs> it's like, this will be one of the 10. <laughs> kind of not a lot of discrepancy between did he or didn't he. But at the time, I did think, and, and I thought it was an interesting moment to contemplate the reality that, you know what, you have to make sure that evidentiary steps and the science and DNA and handling of all these things are critically and vitally important when someone's freedom and or life is at stake. Sure. And that was important. And there, I think they affect, putting aside the huge, massive racial issues, and just in terms of a legal system approach, there was some really compelling discussion of the breakdown in the evidentiary chain and things of that nature mm-hmm. that made people like Dershowitz or Barry Sheck or other people compelling and not just like, oh my God, they're defending a murderer. So it's, it's ironic that in this book preceding that era, it's his whole big line is everyone deserves a defense. In some ways, that goes even further because, you know, you'd mentioned how he's, you know, not, he looks a little strange these days, specifically because of his uh, sort of defense of Trump. Although I was reading up on that because this was, again, in the times we live in, I was like, I I fall prey to like, oh yeah, Dershowitz canceled, Trump supporter. And of course, it's not quite that simple. And And in fact, he's not at all a Trump supporter. So he says, and he simply was trying to do that thing, which I think is, of course, a criminal act in our time, which is to point out where both sides might be wrong in making certain claims or assertions or having a certain strategic viewpoint. It seemed like he was more saying, I don't believe the Democrats should say these things or do these things because that's a very weak legal limb to climb out on. Right. But he picks some bad moments. Again, the the Kavanaugh thing is a good example. During the Brett Kavanaugh hearings, he kind of slammed Avenatti Mm -hmm. and slammed that affidavit. Yes. 
for being sloppy. Now, in fact, in the, in, in the end of the process, it's sort of like that was by far the weakest of the, the women that had come forward and nowhere near as compelling as the woman who testified. Yes. But the way it gets represented is like, oh, Dershowitz is on the side of Trump's Supreme Court nominee. Right. It's a little jumbled. And I guess as a, he's such a lawyer that he's probably always taking what he perceives to be either complicated legal positions or fair-minded ones. I don't know. But it's hard to yeah. look at him now- and in this movie, without seeing him through the lens of like, he's become a little bit of a talk show parody of himself in a way yeah. on the networks. Although I think he's kind of stopped doing some of that stuff. This is not a good look for you. I think that the parody that he's become, like you can trace that back to this. Sure. Like it comes across, I think, better, no offense to Alan Dershowitz himself, through Ron Silver and through yes. the screenplay. Like that is the best argument for it. And I think there's that scene with, surprise, Felicity Huffman. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> we got to we got to play that because that's when I laughed out loud. I said, oh, the irony. Yeah. Well, but so, that's so but good. with that scene there, you know, he points out, you know, he makes a good argument. Like he does. Everybody needs a defense because, you know, if we let this precedent get created, the next time it won't be a rich person that it's um, used against. It's somebody else. I guess and, so. But and it, it as still lawyer, feels weak, doesn't it? Like even though it's sort of like, yeah, he does deserve a defense. But like, why you? Like, it's a little high-minded, but it reminds me of a convenient excuse to take the money or take the notoriety, which given his predilection for these high-profile cases is part of it. Yeah. Yes, you could say, oh, I'm attracted to join the O.J. Simpson legal defense team because I think this will be a case that broadcasts across the globe the importance of legal principles that I believe are foundational and fundamental to our system of justice. You can say that. However, you also realize that you're attaching yourself, allegedly, to a murderer. There's no other option in that story. Sure, no, but no you know, one but else could have other done things, it. You know, <laughs> I mean, other people did. You know, Barry Sheck thought it was worth it. Um, yeah. You know, other people. Well, then Barry Sheck devoted the rest of his life and career to working on behalf of unjustly incarcerated individuals. Well, that's actually the uh, that's part the, of the argument yeah. that I, that he makes. That he makes here. You're paying. You for know this. that there's yeah. also that you're paying the Johnson for, Brothers paying for that. So you know, look, everybody's complicated and stuff like that. And yeah. I guess that's the one thing about this, knowing all these complications now, looking back at how simple in some ways it was presented, yes. is what felt a little awkward. Yes. At the same time, I don't know what your opinion is yet. I'm sure we'll get it. Of uh, Klaus? Of Jeremy Irons' performance. Oh, phenomenal. Because I, when it started, at first I was like, wow, that looks a little. Oh, no, too I think. Much, the, like a I think the performances in this are um, amazing through and through. His grew on me in the sense that I realized, like, oh my gosh, this really is somebody that is so self conscious in the moment mm -hmm. that, that the things that I was responding to negatively yeah. are, are part of the characterization. Part of the character. Yes. Um, yes. And I sort of realized as it went on that uh, that, that was a really deep yes. and nuanced uh, performance. And I also think that in a movie where you have the Sonny Von Bulow character played by Glenn Close is the narrator of the film from her coma, yeah. which is such a great and interesting choice. And I think that Glenn Close's both vocal performance as the narrator is phenomenal and yes. incredibly nuanced and layered. And her physical performance was astounding. I really enjoyed watching it. I watched it a couple of times this time. And Number one, I'll say this, you know, people, actors always say it's like really hard to play drunk 
Yeah. Which it really is. I can't think of any other performance of someone pretending to be drunk unless it was a real drunk. Right. Who happened to be drunk, like Robert Shaw in Jaws or something. Or Peter O'Toole in anything. Or Jason Robards in some critical scenes in All the President's Men or any other famous time actors yeah. have been drunk on screen. But her physical performance of being drunk is phenomenal. I don't know how she did it. Now, of course, so, so Felicity Huffman, a very young Felicity Huffman. Yes. Is this her first role? I don't think so. 1990? It's so great. <laughs> Listeners will, of course, hopefully have followed the news as closely as Chris and I do in preparation for the pod and understand that yeah, Felicity Huffman front and center in the recent college admissions scandal conspiring to have her children have admissions exams taken for them making up false sports profiles and generally behaving like a entitled guilty person aware of their actions. And so one of the things I do like a lot about the movies, I love the kind of gang of legal yeah. students and their different personalities and how that's kind of portrayed in the film. And I'd forgotten that she's one of them and she delivers a now ironic speech. I think this whole thing stinks. I think Klaus von Bülow stinks. He's obviously guilty of something pretty despicable. And if we free him, we become partners in his crime, accessories after the fact. I'm really shocked with your record defending the poor and oppressed that you've taken this case. I won't have anything to do with it. And I hope my fellow students won't either. Goodbye. May I exercise my First Amendment right to free speech? If lawyers only defended innocent clients, there'd be 10 defense lawyers in the entire country and none of you would be able to find a job. Why help guilty people get off? Oh, you're sure he's guilty, 100% sure. He had a lawyer, he had a trial, he was convicted. Are you sure he had a fair trial? Come on! It's the basis of the whole legal system. Everyone gets a defense. So the system is there for the one innocent person who is falsely accused. Okay, look, say it's you, okay? You decide, you decide to get a divorce. You're gonna divorce your husband. A week later, you're accused of molesting your son. Oh no, no don't give me that look. Stuff like this happens all the time. Suddenly, you're alone. You hate it. It's, it's a nightmare. Everyone assumes that you are guilty. Even the mailman is beginning to look at you a little, a little funny. You only got one person who believes in you. There's only one person you can trust, your lawyer. Chris, can you tell this was based on a book written by a lawyer at all? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, whoa, you're laying it on a little thick, Alan. But Ron God, thank Silver. God, thank God for lawyers. I mean, you know, God, where would we be? You know, everybody takes that Shakespeare quote out of context. Yeah. You know, they don't realize just how important lawyers are. And I don't know if you also noticed, uh, this is my favorite thing, and I'd love to know what they were talking about beforehand. Do you see the um, the blackboard? Uh, and again, for uh, our, no, list, I didn't for our listeners the who are lo less than uh, What's 40, on the blackboard? It says masturbation leads to mass murder. Ah. So I don't well, know what case that is. There you have it, Felicity Huffman. It would be great if when she met with her lawyer in the admissions scandal case, he just dropped a little reference to that scene. Okay. Hey, it's so funny that we're meeting. I mean, I guess everyone does deserve a defense. Oh, just Felicity, kidding. I'm, I'm sorry. So sorry. I, I'm so I told sorry. I everybody help. at the bar that I wouldn't do this, but I just have to play you this clip. Oh, All right, boy. now that that's out of the way. I think without question, and I looked on the IMD page to try and figure this out, this is 
the greatest performance of Ron Silver's acting career. Yeah. I mean, he was never in a movie this good again. I did watch a little Blue Steel last night because for some reason that's the other movie I always think of when I think of Ron Silver. I wonder if it's just like my age and the time that movie came out. It was a big deal at the time. It's also another Catherine Bigelow film, which is probably why I like it because as you know, I don't know if you know this, Chris, I'm a huge fan of Catherine Bigelow's Point Break. The thing Keanu did just before doing his genre-defining Hamlet. Difficult living through the Keanu-sans when you're not. No, no, not uh, for us. It's only difficult for you. Yeah, it's so difficult when you have not been replaced by a pod person in the Keanu-sans. And Look, like you can to pretend you can resist the Keanu-sans all you want, but uh-huh. it's here to stay. I'm here to tell you that it's here to stay. Blue Steel. I watched a little of it last night. It's a genre thing, but Ron Silver chews a tremendous amount of scenery in Reversal of Fortune. But I mean, it's it's almost comical how close the impersonation is to Alan Dershowitz. Yeah. No one has acted with a pair of clickety eyeglasses better <laughs> than he did in this film. There are so many scenes where he's taking off the glasses and they're just like clicking and he's he's chewing on them. He's pushing them. He's it's just incredible eyeglass acting. But in this scene from Blue Steel, which is headlined Ron Silver shooting people working out and going crazy. It also gives you a little bit of insight into the the process of Ron Silver's instrument, as you and Amanda Charlton would yes. say. Yes. I task force has been to coordinate your efforts, but admitted that there are no leaves at Why are you talking to me? You are God, Eugene. Righteousness arise with healing in his wings. You are not alone, Yuji. Listen, he sells it. Yeah, I was transfixed. Well, when you said, I didn't see him shooting anybody. When well, said, he shot someone in the scene. Pray, I just cut it in a little oh, later. I see. Yeah. But it said Ron Silver shooting people, working out and going crazy. I thought it was Ron Silver shooting people that were work Like he went oh, into a I gym yeah. and shot people who were working out and like yeah. going nuts on their- No. So the premise of Blue Steel is that Jamie Lee Curtis is a police officer who interrupts a convenience store robbery and I believe kills the suspect- 
uh, whose gun falls on the floor next to a psychopathic yuppie played by Ron Silver who picks up the gun unbeknownst to Jamie Lee Curtis. Uh Uh-huh. And then he goes on like a shooting spree with the gun. And then he ends up dating the cop. Wow. Oh, that sounds awesome. Yeah, it's a good premise for a movie. And, you know, Ron Silver, not the most subtle of actors. Sure. No, no offense. Rest in peace. Ron Silver. Great, great career. I'm just saying. It's a little, you know, tends to be a little over the top. Right. He's kind of the Jewish Armand Asante. My experiences with Ron Silver are not. Your personal experience? Not personal. Oh. But only, <laughs> I saw him in Time Cop. Which, Time Cop, uh, yeah. Not, he is so over the top normally that he only had to like barely turn in a performance and it was still yeah. more than that film deserved. That's a Jean-Claude Van Damme vehicle, I yes, believe. Yes, based on a Dark Horse <clears throat> comic book. Ah, uh, 1994's. Time cop. Time cop. And then uh, I saw, did you ever hear of Heat Vision and Jack? I've this heard was of that. What a is that? pilot this that is a, this Ben is a, Stiller directed oh, with yeah. Jack Black and Owen Wilson. And it was very sort Wait, of late 90s in its premise. Isn't that a fake trailer from the movie? Um, no, 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 no. It's a real? It was a real pilot. You know, who knows if they made it on a lark and they thought nobody would make it or anything like that. And Ron Silver was the villain. Mm-hmm. And Ron Silver was actor Ron Silver playing actor Ron Silver, who's also an international assassin. Meta. Heat Vision and Jack starring Jack Black and Owen Wilson. Hmm. I wouldn't necessarily run out and see it, but uh, yeah, it was fun. Created and written by Dan Harmon. Yes, and uh, Rob Schraub. Rob Schraub, right. God, 1999. It's amazing how long ago that now seems. What is that, 20 years? Almost, yeah. Jesus. What else was Ron Silver good in? Well, that I don't know. But I do know he played with Holly Hunter when Billy beat Bobby. About Uh, uh, Billie uh, Jean King and Bobby Riggs. Actually, the more recent one was pretty good. Yeah. See it? No, with Steve Carell and uh, Emma Stone. Very good. Ironically, he played Robert Shapiro in the adaptation of Larry Schiller's book, American Tragedy, about the OJ trial. Oh, no kidding. Yes. Sorry, I was confused because I was thinking of the American Crime Story where Alan Dershowitz is a character played by Evan Handler. No, Richard Cox played Alan Dershowitz. Ron Silver played Robert Shapiro and Ving Rhames played Johnny Cochran. Was that good? I didn't see it. I read the book. Very good book. So anyway, Reversal of Fortune, as people know, it's the story of a true crime that gripped the world. And I guess it's one of those stories people love because it had how the other half lived, the decadent opulence of American wealth, although ironically... Klaus was not American, right? but Sonny Von Bulow and the Newport scene and the dispassionate, jaundiced view of the crippling and moral and emotional effects of growing up amidst dynastic wealth. Yes. And I think one of the things that's fascinating is Klaus and Sonny, although the whole reason they're together is founded upon an infidelity and her then-husband cheating on her and kind of seemingly being seated next to Klaus at dinner parties yeah. enough to then base the next ep- epic marriage of her cheat life with on. somebody. Uh, uh, how about how you? you? <laughs> well, I'm supposed to talk to the man to my right at a dinner yeah. party. Hey, Klaus, I will touch your <laughs> finger with mine and then it's on. But as you said, they do come to an agreement that's presented that scene at the party where he obviously wants to tell her that he's become romantically involved with someone, as he puts it. I've been involved with someone who falls outside the parameters of our agreements. Someone peripherally in our circle. And she both cares and doesn't care. I mean, the complexity of that scene is pretty well done. Yes. There's a certain truth that they tell to each other that Dershowitz and Sarah don't tell to each other. Mm -hmm. Yet, it doesn't elevate them to a higher moral standard or 
plane of existence, it actually is kind of like the blender volcano that sucks them down mm-hmm. further into their own depravity and drug use and infidelity and ends up just destroying not only their lives, but the lives of everyone around them. Watching it, I really enjoyed it from like the trashy point of, of like yeah. the, how the other half lives, watching them be so dissolute. And those are the parts that I thought worked yeah. really well Love and that. really enjoyed it. But like you said, it was when they started imp- introducing the complicating factors of the real emotions. And then to think of how closed off they seemed mm-hmm. between drugs and excess and wealth that had gotten between them and the emotions, to see it still peek through at moments I found mm-hmm. really affecting. And particularly, I think it comes, spoiler alert for 1990's Reversal of Fortune, when it comes to the end and they're wondering about how she actually died on that day mm. and the implication that suicide was a possibility mm-hmm. because of her getting the love notes that yes. were meant for him. Yeah. Uh, the point where- Or that he wrote to her. Uh, that he wrote to his mistress. Yes. And the she mistress said, how back. could you write such beautiful letters? Yeah. Yeah. And so she's hurt by it. She's Instead hurt, Instead of yes. just being like, oh, she's who very cares, hurt. whatever. Yeah. She's very hurt. And it, seeing that is, I don't know, I, f- I found it moving. That, yeah. Or when he's, <laughs> what are you going to say? Uh, and we could even play the scene when he says, uh, like, hey, man, like that's when Dershowitz is like, that's eh, tough. You know, 30 years, that's a that's a harsh sentence. And Klaus's response is, sorry, like, 30 years is a pretty stiff sentence. Twice trying to murder one's wife, anything less would be monstrous. Yes. Uh, <laughs> and even though, again, it comes through in his glib way, mm-hmm. there is a sincerity to it. And the fact that he does stay with her, the moments where there was sincerity in these cynical, dried out, Yes. People. Yeah. Uh, it was, I found it really compelling and exciting. It was. Bullcast and Crew was brought to you by Two Different Guys on a Bench, a new comedy series from American Vandal star Ryan O'Flanagan. Two Different Guys on a Bench, where Ryan talks to Ryan on a bench. We keep the comedy simple, folks. Two Different Guys on a Bench videos can be found now on Facebook at Chuckler Comedy. Like and follow Chuckler for the latest and greatest short form comedy videos. Chuckler, original comedy delivered daily. Without these two lead actors, I think, you know, you have something that's even more dated and less worthy of rewatching. Like to make you feel for these people is an accomplishment. Yes. On the one sense, who gives a pile of beans for two desiccated, aristocratic, snooty, rich white people? With nothing in their lives. With nothing. Literally nothing Nothing. to do except sort of living off their wealth. To ostentatiously and baroquely decorate rooms. It must have been fun to be the set designer. Anyway, here's a scene where Glenn Close gets to break out of her usual comatoseness in the film and rage. That is if Klaus has time to talk. Or are you going to work every spare moment right through Christmas? Hmm? Is your work really so fascinating? Or are you trying to drive me away? Because if you are, it's succeeding beautifully because I don't want this. I didn't marry you for this. I could have had anybody. With my money, anybody. Well? Say something. Do something. Be a man. I already have a butler. Do something. I don't want this. I don't. I don't want this. I don't don't want this. It's such a weird scene because he's holding his body in a lector-like precision and she's trying to hurt him and I think succeeding in his face. Do you, do you get that sense? Yes. 
but, but he, he knows. But he won't show her that. Yes. He's trying. Is he trying not to show her that her words have found their target? Yes. But we know they have through that Jeremy Irons. I mean, there's that one close up. You just see something's yeah. going on behind. You know, I wondered when watching because I was transfixed in this by Glenn Close's performance, particularly in that scene, because when she goes from trying to hurt him to being open and hurt herself. Is he not responding? Because this is already pretty late, yes. pretty close to her death. And he, if you believe him, that there was real love there. And we see some scenes, again, from his point of view, mm-hmm. with these flashbacks, that there was real love there. Mm-hmm. So at that point, is he is he not showing the emotion because he doesn't want her to win? Or is he not showing the emotion because he doesn't want her to tumble further down? Or is he not because showing not the emotion because it's been so long that he felt any? There's the famous scene in the limo where Dershowitz says to him, you're a very strange man. And he leans out of the shadow and says, you have no idea. I don't know. I, it's such an interesting part of the film that by, even by the end of the movie, you don't know what yeah. to think. And, and that's such a, I wonder how they do that in the knitting together of the performance and the film. Yes. Like how does it end up leaving you, the viewer, still uncertain? How does the performance end up doing that? That's mm-hmm. what I'm interested in. Because certain actors would have a quality where you're just kind of on their side and you kind of hope they didn't do it, even if they did. Like Glenn Close has a quality where even when she's doing monstrous things or self-destructive things or is a, just a sad case, you still feel for her. Yeah. She is able to imbue it with kind of example of previous generations, lack of empathy and elevation of money above all things. And in that scene, she says, you know, with my money, anybody, yeah. right? Oh, that was heartbreaking to me. The fact that she said, I could have had anybody. Yeah. And she doesn't say, I'm because of who I am. beautiful, I'm yeah. wonderful, I'm with smart, I'm this or that. Just with my money, yeah. nothing else. But Jeremy Irons is such a great and interesting actor that he can leave you uncertain. You appreciate his sense of style and the style of his comedy the scenes where he's kind of comical, like the one where he says, you have no idea. The great scene between him and uh, Ron Silver in the Newport Yacht Club over cigars and brandy, where he continually kind of irritates Dershowitz to the point where Dershowitz has a a very, you don't do that here, profane outbreak. You know, yeah. fuck you, fuck man. You. Fuck you, man. <laughs> and just they cut to Jeremy Irons and the most brilliant flicker of a smile travels across his face as he takes an inhalation of his cigar, and he loves it. We like these elements of this guy who, as far as we know, couldn't have been a monster. We don't know. I mean, he did get off, but it's left very uncertain. And certainly the last scene of the movie, the great last scene of the movie, is meant to, you know, maybe he did do it after all. It's weird, not weird, but it's weird that Jeremy Irons gets an Academy Award for Best Actor, but she doesn't. I remember when this was around that that was all the talk. Watching it this time, this week, I was blown away with just how amazing she was. Totally. When all of it does seem about both Dershowitz and Klaus. Yep. Mm-hmm. But the movie really is, right, rather like Rashomon, you know, shout out to Film yes. Forum. You get the truth from Dershowitz slash the legal mm-hmm. point of view of the facts that dig yes. up. You get the truth as Klaus relates it. Yes. Whether that's self-serving, Which varies, sincere, yes. but, a, bear, but yeah. a little bit of both. But then you also get her point of view. Yes. And I'd completely forgotten that there is a third track yes. that she is yes. narrating in some of the flashbacks. Although she doesn't say, we don't get her point of view as to what happened. Yeah. She Interestingly. Says specifically, she says, this is all you can know. All you can be told. When you get where I am, you will know the rest. Irons in 1990, the 63rd 
Academy Awards. Uh, these were the nominees. Kevin Costner for Dances with Wolves. I would say that's a great performance. Does it avoid the white savior trope? Mm. I don't know. I mean, I haven't seen it in uh, It's a great movie. In the past 20 years. I'd have to look at it through the... I'd yeah. have to put on my 19, 2019 political goggles to see so if it's canceled what, or not. That's what they're there for. Uh, De Niro in Awakenings. Enough said there. Bad? I, mean, uh, I haven't seen it. I just, I read about, just, I've heard look, Oliver Sacks and I, read about it. All respect to Robin Williams, but Robin Williams is Oliver Sacks. Yeah, yeah. Didn't, okay, fair enough. Gerard Depardieu, Cyrano, de Bergerac. Well, never heard of it. It's the uh, French version of Roxanne. Oh, uh, right. That, yeah, that great Steve Martin character yeah, that he invented. That he invented, that's right. And Richard Harris for The Field. That's a great film. That one I don't know. That's the Jim Sheridan movie with Richard Harris and John Hurt and Sean Bean. It's, it's like a 1920s or 30s Irish film drama. Great movie. Uh, and Jeremy Irons won, which is kind of weird when you look at that lineup. I would think big time American movie star Kevin Costner would yes. win, but maybe that's sort of like the first time Costner was in sort of a movie you're supposed to take seriously. Yeah. And he was a director. And he was and a th- director. So, you know, you're not getting that award, pretty boy. It took some awards, didn't it? Uh, let's see. Dances with Wolves, 12 Academy Award nominations. Wow. It won seven. Best That's- Picture, Best Director, Best Adapted Screenplay, Best Editing, Best Cinematography, Best Original Score, and Best Sound Mixing. But not Best Actor. So Kevin Costner, whatever else you might say yeah. about Jeremy Irons being in Batman versus Superman, he's still got an Oscar and you don't. This to me is the template for uh, Jeremy Irons. You mean uh, of all Jeremy Irons performances? I mean, it's I think the first time I heard his name and the first, I think I probably saw it before I saw Dead Ringers. First time I sort of saw him. And so it's just, you know, it's Dead always Ringers in the background. Dead Ringers before this, right? Yes. Yeah. I forget about Dead Ringers. Dead Ringers. Jesus. Holy shit. Yeah, I mean, I guess he always does portray that intensely interior person. He's particularly good in a movie I quite like about the 2008 financial scandal, Margin Call, by the guy who did the Robert Redford boat movie. You got to watch Margin Call because I sat next to Zach Pinto. Quinto. Quinto. (laughs) It's like, wow, so you sat next to some guy I've never heard of. He wasn't quite like sitting next to Zach Quinto, but Zach Pinto is almost (laughs) as as well known. I sat next to Zach Quinto on my flight uh, to L.A. Well, across the aisle from. There was an aisle between There was an aisle between us. got it. But there there were no other seats There was no other barriers between us. So that counts Um, as next to. And we didn't, although we didn't speak or interact in any way, I like to think that we. Shared something? We had a simpatico bond in terms of our kind of way that we handled our cross-country flight. The way we stowed our luggage, the way we put our things around ourselves. the way we special kind of man. It does. He had a, a service animal with him on the flight. Really? He had a dog that had one of those little vests. Wow. Yeah. Are you surprised uh, by that? I am surprised by that because, I, I, nice. I mean, I know there are such things as emotional support animals. I guess, does he not like to fly? Is that? I don't know. I mean, I, I, anytime I see a support animal, I think that's just something we decided in the late 20 teens to allow. The dog was really well behaved. I mean, the dog just curled right up and went to sleep, never made a peep. Just imagine how he would have stowed his luggage, how he would have comported himself Maybe. if he didn't have that. Yeah. He might have been running around the plane, yelling at people, and we'd have been uh, talking about that. Doesn't that doesn't seem like Spock's style, but maybe. Listen, people get very emotionally charged by flying. Margin Call by J.C. Shandor. I think it's a really good movie. 
Paul Bettany, Jeremy Irons, mm-hmm. Kevin Spacey. Um, Who's that one? Simon Baker is great in it. Mary McDonald is great. Demi Moore, Stanley Tucci, Asif Mandvi. Really good. Really good cast. Mm-hmm. And Jeremy Irons plays the uber Titanic Wall Street guy who helicopters in during this crisis. Again, in a very Jeremy Irons-esque way, manages to be all these things that we still kind of like. And, you know, he's still a little funny. He's still yeah. totally in command and fearsome. The scenes in the Dershowitz home, which is taken over by the case and the whole crew of people, which has some really interesting people in it, like playwright Keith Redeen, we talked about, is one of Dershowitz's crew of law students. He's one of the two kind of goth characters, right? I love them. I always watch this movie for them, even though they don't have much to do. Wow, that's a lot to go through. Well, I just appreciate them because I feel like that's kind of like a verisimilitude. Yale or Harvard Law School could be like that. I grew up in New Haven, so I'm familiar a little bit with kind of like they sometimes go out of their way to have very like untraditional students be in the law school. And I think they did that well by the inclusion of those two goths. And some of it seemed a little bit too much, like the whole basketball thing that they would always play and the communal. Well, what do you uh, mean? You don't, you don't believe law students could play basketball one-on-one convincingly? It's not like I, they shot it that they looked like they were great basketball players. <laughs> they did make a lot in the movie of the dorm atmosphere sure. of everybody pulling a 40-day all-nighter to yes. prepare the case. And some of that stuff, like, I did find it fun and I thought it was great to hear them. They'd fall asleep, get up, play basketball. Yes. And then, like, in, in the middle, all, in all of these that have the conversations about the case, integrated into it and then people uh, yeah. they were divided up they made a big bowl they made a big of bowl of spaghetti the big bowl of spaghetti all that stuff like <laughs> in some way it verged on cheesiness yes. I guess, but i actually did enjoy it here's an interesting <laughs> thing that i i read i assume none of these the characters in that are real per se you mean they're like fictional versions of the yeah, real they're people like composites there's nobody listed as elliot spitzer who was although one of those i think you can tell the guy that's supposed to be him is the craggy faced guy i believe really i think so you know the guy who's um the one who keeps having to go back to rhode island no no not the oh. preppy waspy guy I don't think that's the Spitzer character. I think the Spitzer character is the other guy who's kind of got like a Jack Kerouacian craggy face. I thought that was the Spitzer character. Could be. I don't think anybody's listed as Elliot. No. Or Elliot And also, I watched this movie and I could not for the life of me pick Bill Camp out, although he's supposed to be in the movie. I thought he was the guy who's the blonde Jack Black. No, he's not the big blonde Jack Black guy, Um, but he's... Granted, it's a long time ago. He's probably young, but I mean, he should be recognizable. He's a pretty recognizable guy. Well, so Elliot Spitzer was supposedly one of those students, as was Jim Cramer of Mad Money. That's right. Does anyone play someone named Jim now? I wonder why they avoid those. Like, you're naming everyone else. Why not have Jim Cramer? It's not like Elliot Spitzer was in any trouble in 1990 yet. But he was on the way up. Great Fisher Stevens. Yeah. I was looking to see. I guess he'd done a hell of a lot of stuff by the time this came out. Prior to that, he was in Short Circuit. And... We'll do this now. He was in Columbo. Columbo Cinematic Universe. Ah, one more thing. 1989, Murder, Smoke, and Shadows. Thank you for finally, after a three-episode dry spell, allowing me to reassert the dominance of the CCU. It's my favorite to you. No, it's not. Why wouldn't it be? No, because you don't even you never even watched a Columbo. So what? That's why I, I enjoy. That's why your, you. That's why you can that's enjoy why it's my so favorite. Much. Exactly. I've no, I've got no complaints. Watching uh, Fisher Stevens in this reminded me what a unique film presence he was and mm-hmm. and is. He's so oleaginous in this. Let's play a little of that where he he addresses that directly. His oleaginousness. Yeah. <laughs> 
One night I got curious. Opened the package. Fucking pharmacy, man. Needles, syringes, white powder, nice selection of pills, Demerol, like a drugstore. You delivered the uh, drug six times and didn't know it? <laughs> Stupid, huh? Then Gilbert asked me again. I couldn't say no, but this time I made Alex open the package in front of me. Voila! I go, awful lot of pharmaceuticals for one person. He goes, oh, I give some to my mom to keep her off my back. A few weeks later, Gilbert gets mistaken for a softball. Two guys bash his head in. Alex calls me, totally urinary. Will the cops find his phone number and fuck up his trust fund or something? Well, that's the fat. That's the skinny. You like it? You traffic with drug dealers and drag queens. You have a part-time job. You ride around in rented limos. All in all, I would have to say you're probably the least impressive witness I've ever seen. There you have it. Other than that, what's wrong with riding around in limos with drag queens? Like, leave the drag queens out of this. My favorite thing about that scene, as much as we talk about Ron Silver being a bit over the top. <laughs> he hasn't met Fisher Stevens yet. What? <laughs> <laughs> the scene where he's uh, like taking the notes as so as Fisher Stevens' character is you yes. know, going on the thing and he's taking notes. It's just very real. Yes. But it's so funny because Fisher Stevens is so both he and the character are so obviously yes. trying to impress. Yeah. And he is so not impressed and just doing the bare minimum totally. of taking notes. It's, it reminds me of the scene that Amanda liked in Silence of the Lambs when Jodie Foster is doing what she thinks is a routine door check yes. and happens to stumble upon who we know to be Buffalo Bill. And she has a similar disinterested, checked out thing going on. I was thinking about Fisher Stevens, like technically he's really good. He's very committed and his face and his control of his body. and But he's such a strange person. He's such mm -hmm. a strange presence that given the nature of these things, your career is probably shaped and limited to some degree by the fact that you're just going to read that way. Like, he can't be the romantic leading man. On the other hand, being a romantic lead, like, you got a um, an expiration date on you pretty Do you? quick. I think so. Like Harrison Ford is still doing it. I mean, certainly less for men than for women, but, I mean, he's just a movie star between yeah, the action films. I guess and so. He's got all sorts of other things going on. I mean, look, and don't be cry for Fisher. He's yeah, still saying. working, you know. And he's a director as he's well. He's a director, yeah. Um, and to be a character actor, like, there's no... Yeah. Do you think it's better to be a character actor than a leading man? I mean, depending on what you're going for, but if just longevity of career, well, what if you like the character? The acting. You want to be the character actor, yeah. right? Yeah. Although, when you're the character actor, aren't you just largely playing a version of yourself? Yeah. When we say character actor, we mean that guy. We do mean that guy, but sometimes those that guys, if we think of Paul Clennon, sure. David, David Clennon, Clennon. Rather, those are very different. Those are not like, oh, I get a beat on who he is as a person. Right. He but gets to sort of over, not overdo it, but, you know, it's a bit more yeah. fun, but there's more going on. Certainly there are some character actors that are so strange looking or have such a presence that it's just like, oh, get that weird. Like Robert Davi. Which is Robert Davi? He's the guy with the pockmarked face. <laughs> and when I say that, you know exactly <laughs> yes, who I'm exactly, talking about. Yes. So I guess you do want to be that guy. You want to be character actor. Although Fisher Stevens isn't a that guy because somehow he's first and foremost, he's Fisher Stevens. He's somehow crossed that line in our pop culture. And I don't, I don't know, know how. I don't know which performance <laughs> I'd pin that to. But like watching I, this. I don't think it has anything to do with his performances. I think in the 90s, it had to do with who he was dating. Who was he dating? And he went out with Michelle Pfeiffer for three years. <sighs> so I think that's how we 
kind of knew him, maybe. Sure, maybe. I'm going to give her a lot of credit for looking within. Wasn't he also, and maybe this is a gratuitous drive-by and slander. <laughs> Love it. Uh, now you're speaking my language. Uh, Ro- the Rob Lowe sex tape? Uh, didn't it have something to do with him? Not he, that he was in it, but didn't, well, maybe he, that was his directorial debut? Uh, that's where he, he really was very good friends with Rob Lowe, I want to say. I think that's, maybe that's all that it was. Uh, well, he actually did get lost while skiing with Chad Lowe and had to be rescued. That wow. is true. I don't know about Rob Lowe. Did he have something to do with the Fisher Stevens Rob Lowe sex tape? Uh, I don't know. I don't think Fisher Stevens had anything to do with it. I think you did. Like I said, maybe it was just that. I think you did a gratuitous drive by. Um, But I was for which we can be sued. I was, I was working at a. I probably shouldn't say the name of the theater. Helping to sell theater tickets over the telephone, telemarketing job. Hey, do you have a moment, Chris? Can I tell you about our upcoming season? Uh, I'm really uh, great. Well, the first show is. Uh huh. Yeah. (laughs) So for only $300 or $25 a month, you can get me off the phone and get back to your dinner. <laughs> so you're focusing on the shows. Focus on getting Focus me off, on the getting off the phone. Anyway, uh, the sex tape. And again, this is pre-internet, kids. So you couldn't see something like this. And I remember that the artistic director had a VHS copy of the tape. And we went up to his office and there were drinks being passed around while we were working. And the tape was screened. Wow. Yes. And I, that's where I saw the tape for the very first time. First of many. <laughs> Whoa, wait, did I just say, all right, I've seen it a few times. I mean, I'm in the entertainment business, Chris. I I had to watch it for various jobs and things. It's actually also shocking moments of episode will be about the Rob Lowe sex tape. Speaking of like who should be given a harder time, like why does Rob Lowe get a free pass? Uh, Alan Dershowitz is like canceled for like some pro-Trump comments. But like Rob Lowe is a pretty out, like totally conservative Trump supporter, isn't he? I don't, I don't think so. Yeah, he's totally pro-Trump. Are you sure? Yes. All right, well, then cancel it. I mean, I'm saying he is, whether he is or he isn't. I'm pretty sure he was. Oh, boy, the legal department's really going to have a field day with this one. <laughs> Rob Lowe's totally pro-Trump. Google Rob Lowe Trump. I just, Rob Lowe. Rob Lowe Trump. Rob mm-hmm. Lowe endorses Trump for president. 2011. That's, oh, well. that's ahead of the curve. <laughs> Sure. Rob Lowe in Donald Trump's cabinet, question mark? Wow. Uh, Rob Lowe. But then there's also Rob Lowe trolls the Trump administration in his one-man show. Yeah. He had a one-man show. I bet it's great. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Can you count on one finger the amount of one-man shows you've ever seen that are truly great? You might not even take one finger. No, I mean, are you I, not a fan of the medium? No, I think it's I think it's unjustly maligned. Oh, you do name some good ones. Um, shoot, why am I a blanket? Uh, I am my own wife. That was uh, a one person show. I mean, it was a play, that, but uh, only had one actor. And Jefferson Mays. Jefferson Mays. I didn't see that on Broadway. That was that was great. Spalding Gray. I did see a Spalding Gray one. Yes, it, it was one of his later, so not his. Yeah, uh, but it was great. Not swimming mm-hmm. to Cambodia. Not swimming to Cambodia. That was a sad guy. Sad. Yes. Very sad story. Uh, Judy Gold had a great one-woman yes. show. My Life is a Sitcom, directed by a very talented director. I can't remember her name. <laughs> oh, it was my wife. Oh, you still, but that doesn't oh, mean you can remember that. her name. Sorry, I forgot. <laughs> well, you know, my wife and I, our relationship very closely resembles that of Jeremy Irons and um, Sonny Von Bulow. We live in a very cold, splendorous, 
sea cliffside mansion in Newport. And what's with the sleeping masks and the hats? Like, do they not have any heat? He goes to sleep dressed as a cat burglar. Yeah. Well, they did say it's sort of winter, probably an old house. And she kept the the window open. She kept the window open. And as I think we had pointed out a little bit, they really did not glamorize this glamorous life. The amount of smoking. Oh, my God. Let's talk about the smoking. The smoking was. Even for a movie. I think Jeremy Irons must be a lifelong, heavy, heavy fucking smoker. His voice in this movie is so smoke mahogany. And the way he inhales cigarette smoke, it's like he is the master of the control of his smoke. He can make it come a little bit out of his mouth and then suck it all the way back in. He uses it as an acting tool the way Ron Silver uses his comically oversized Alan Dershowitz glasses. There's a scene where they're talking about, you know, Sunny, because she was uh, hypoglycemic, yes. not really have sweets, but <laughs> when she was really acting out, she was having, she didn't eat the anything sunglasses. to dinner except for a Sunday And the sunglasses. And so there's a picture of her <laughs> eating ice cream, eating a chocolate sundae with a cigarette in her hand. I was like, You've ruined both those things. I do love the scene where Dershowitz cracks the case while staring at the, the the basketball teams have various logos and shirts derived from the case. So he's playing a pretty horrific <laughs> offensive set against one of the female lawyers and her shirt says black bag team. And that's when he, he I got it, I got it. He runs, where's Raj? He runs upstairs and he figures that the Uta Hagen playing yes. the maid I mean, I'm sorry, isn't she one of the most famed acting teachers in the history of yes, acting? Yes. And, you, and she plays the maid? That's the best we can do for Uta Hagen? Well, Uta Hagen did not have much of a TV really? and film. Well, it the, much of a film career, partially because she, I think she was blacklisted. Oh, I thought it was because she made so much money from the ice cream. <laughs> you tell me she didn't. You know, I'll update Wikipedia because <laughs> that, was, that was not mentioned. Insulin? This is my Uta Hagen impersonation. Insulin? Not for my lady, the insulin. Insulin? For what insulin? My lady is not diabetic. She originated the role of Martha in Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf on Broadway. Ah. She was Desdemona to Paul Robeson's Othello, and her husband at the time, Jose Ferrer, was Iago. Because of her association with Paul Robeson and stuff, I think that's why she said that she was blacklisted. Well, I mean, she worked. Let's see. Oh, she probably. I'd, I'd be surprised if she 60, was not on Columbo. 66. I checked. She wasn't on Columbo. Boys from Brazil, Lou Grant, Doctor Story. Didn't work much. Reversal of Fortune, her first movie role in quite a while. Well, in Boys from Brazil, I guess she's in prison. That's a prison uniform. Was she one of the boys from Brazil? That's where all the Nazis it, are, like, living in Brazil? Well, spoiler for, <laughs> for Boys from Brazil. They cloned Hitler's brain. Oh, right. No, that's a different one. What? That's not this. That's not this one. They cloned a bunch of Hitlers and were no, raising no, no, no. him by a bunch of families, hoping that's to not, get him to... That's not this movie. That's They Cloned Hitler's Brain. No, <laughs> That's a different movie. They have like a dozen clones of Hitler that they're putting in with families that they think will. Is that true? Oh, is that why it's called the boys from Brazil? Yeah. Oh, I just thought the boys were the Nazis. It they mean like the little boys. Old Nazi hunter Ezra Lieberman is at first uninteresting. I don't know if you're right about this. I'm just not sure. So like by cloning him, he's going to, the boys are going to grow up to have the same messianic, in, insane, megalomaniacal yes, evilness. I mean, listen, there's some nature, there's some... So it says, from the jungles of Paraguay, Dr. Joseph Mengele plans the rebirth of the Nazi empire. So he's living in Brazil, or in Paraguay, rather. He sends his minions to assassinate 94 men over a two-year period, just around the time they will turn 65 years of age. Uh, that is until he visit, visits some of the dead men's families and sees their sons. So, like, mm. these adopted sons are placed with people, and they're hopefully being raised oh. to become like Hitler. 
an insane plot to resurrect the Fuhrer Adolf Hitler <laughs> and establish the Fourth Reich. I mean, what plot could be more insane than the one I just outlined? <laughs> I did see her live on stage, and the first time that I ever sort of made uh, made any had any association with her name in the late '90s. She was doing a show called Mrs. Klein. I just graduated college, and I was like, "All right, so here's this supposedly great actor. I'm gonna go see it." And she really was great. I don't remember a thing about the play, but it was just exciting to see like, oh, wow, like these are people doing what I've been studying and trying to do, like, and they are doing it top of the game. Do you have a copy of Respect for Acting? I don't, because hmm. I don't have any respect. Uh, did you know she wrote a cookbook entitled Love for Cooking? I did. I did. <laughs> that you have. So as much as you <laughs> <laughs> The whole case cracks upon Uta Hagen's line reading of, why for insulin? My lady does not need insulin. And from that, Dershowitz goes, you see, Maria's first thought, not part of a legal strategy, was that the drugs were for Sonny. Because she assumed that it was Sonny's black bag. And somehow the whole thing hinged on that. And for that, <laughs> and, uh, they kind of yeah, rushed through the ending. I will say this is, you know. I, when Why didn't they the do intro, a courtroom thriller? Not, I don't know. I mean, again, I was happy with him looking awkward around the college types. Dershowitz yelling at him. Like, all, all that's the stuff that I wanted. You wanted that? I wanted, a little, more, I wanted a little more courtroom. I like I like a good courtroom drama. They're like, look, we only have budget for one courtroom scene. You like and the Alan lead? Dershowitz is like, it's gonna be my opening. That is it. I do love how he has his ill-fitting suit. His white sleeves are basically from the elbows down as he's like getting ready to present his case to the Supreme Court justices in Rhode Island, including Alan Dershowitz himself played one of the judges. No, I didn't even notice that. Oh yeah, I didn't. Sound, you can I see didn't him see. in profile. You know, it's a great line from Glenn Close's voiceover: "Brain dead, body." Better than ever. <laughs> so good. You know, we didn't talk too much about, uh, besides the pronunciation of his name, about Barbette Schroeder. Mm. Uh, have you seen any other Barbette Schroeder films? I don't know. Tell me about some of I them. I saw a few. Uh, he had made the Kiss of Death remake with David Caruso and Nicolas Cage. Oh, God. Also, like, just speaking of 90s nostalgia, like, if you look at that cast, oh it could God. not be. That might be one of the most over-the-top movies ever made. And wasn't that the movie that David Caruso tanked his lifetime providing television career in order to go make? I believe it was that movie. He was one of the first famous TV refuseniks who walked away from NYPD Blue. NYPD Blue. Blue, yeah. And he was like, nope, I'm a huge star now, famously difficult. And I want to say it was the same time, but maybe it wasn't. It's certainly around that time. I just wasn't sure if it was this or he also did Jade, but Kiss of Death became before before Jade. So. Jade is also terrible. I believe that's a Joe Esterhaus That is a film. Joe Esterhaus, yes. <laughs> if you were a fan of over-the-top Nick Cage performances, and by golly, there have been a hell of a lot of them, <laughs> that, this one is probably one of the most over-the-top. Yeah. He's so beefed up. And I was just rereading the uh, description of it. And I was like, oh, this sounds great. And I do remember liking it. <laughs> yeah. But another film that he had also directed, Single White Female. But the thing of his that I had seen in 2008, my father and I are going to take a trip. So we go to Toronto. Happened to be the Toronto International Film Festival was going on. And because we hadn't really thought about it, we we're like, we should go. Not, of course, realizing that everything that sounded interesting was sold out. be good. was sold out, of sure. course. So we went to see, like, what was left. One was something called Vinyan, which had um, Emmanuel Bayard and uh, Rufus Sewell. And it was actually a really disturbing thing. It was just after, um, like, a tsunami in Asia. And it was about this couple who had lost their son, and they went back uh. to the front. And then we saw this other thing called Inju, the Beast in the Shadow, which uh, Barbette Schroeder had directed. Really? Is it a... It's just sort of, it's like sort of exploitative, made, would have been made for TV um, about an author and uh, another author. And it was just as sort of trashy as this, but also as competently made. 
In fact, even a little trashy. David Crusoe then went on to make CSI Miami for 10 seasons. Yeah, so, so I guess do not weep for his career. He also owns a clothing store called Steam on Sunset in South Miami. No kidding. Because, you know, when you think trendy clothes, <laughs> you think David Caruso. I'm sure for a certain market, I want to look like that guy from CSI Miami. I'm flagging on you. Anything else on Barbette Schroeder that you need to cover? Only that I read an interview with him where it was actually pretty interesting what he said about this movie. The interviewer asked, do you think everybody at one time or another wants to kill someone and get away with it? No, I never felt like that. <laughs> you told me that if you ever found out you were dying of a dreadful disease, you would take somebody like Pinochet with you. Yes, but I was just trying to think how to make my death useful for other people. I'm more the type to accept people as they are, even if they are horrible. Anyway, political assassinations usually produce opposite results. Hmm. Uh, what I liked about that was because there's also a line in this where Dershowitz is speaking to one of the students, and he's outlining what he thinks will be a case idea, which is like... Why, why do you think this case fascinates people? Because one time or other, every man is driven crazy by his wife, and in his secret heart... He wants to do exactly what Klaus is accused of. Kill her in some sly, silent way that can't be detected. Klaus is a scapegoat. Someone has to suffer for the sin that we all want to commit. Alan, that's ridiculous. It's ridiculous, you're right. <laughs> yes. And so it seemed to be a, a nice echo of that. Um, anyway, well, he actually seemed like a really interesting guy. Well, you might think that you're an internationalist, Chris, but Bar Barbet Troder is an Iranian-born Swiss film director and producer who started his career in French cinema. So, my God, talk about covering the bases. Yes. And his son, Schroeder, played great piano on the Peanuts cartoon. Yeah. For years. And speaking of nepotism, did you notice that Norman Mailer's son oh. was in the movie playing actually, Alan Dershowitz's son? I actually wanted to say, I thought Stephen Mailer did a pretty good job. I, I mean, he was a little, like, dewy-eyed and, like, proto-Zach Braffian. <laughs> But Stephen Mailer, Norm Mailer's kid, I thought he did a pretty good job. Yes. Alternative casting. Put that one back. I only saw one bit. Two on the nose. Can't have Klaus Maria Brandauer play <laughs> Klaus von Bülow. Yeah, I agree. Right? Uh, I like him. Love him. And he actually looks a bit more like Klaus. A little bit, but he doesn't have the menace that yeah. Jeremy Irons has, which I thought was great. And which Klaus von Bülow himself seemed to have. He just had kind of a Swiss detachment, I thought. I didn't find him particularly scary. He looked he looked skeletal more than anything else, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. He, he seems like all he, scary words to me. <laughs> he looked like he smoked a lot less than Jeremy Irons. I'm really concerned about... I've, I've actually, for about 30 years, I've thought about Jeremy Irons' lungs. Yeah? I have. Because I feel like he has smoked like a chimney his entire career. Yeah. And I can't believe he's still alive. <laughs> like, that's how much he smokes. Yeah. His and teeth for a long time. have always been blackened from cigarette smoke. Yeah. His voice. I mean, how can you smoke that much? Please stop smoking, Jeremy Irons. Although, by this point, what's the point? <laughs> you know, smoke him if you got him, Jeremy. Yeah. And he's got him. Full Cast and Crew is brought to you by Out of Jack's Mind, a new comedy short video series from Jack Plotnick co-writer and director of the Sony Pictures feature film Space Station 76 and current recurring guest on Grace and Frankie and Z Nation. Out of Jack's Mind, like and follow at Chuckler Comedy on Facebook or Chuckler.com. Chuckler, original comedy delivered daily. Anything else? No, I'm ready to move on to rants and raves. Fantastic. I'm ready to rant today, Chris. Go for it. Okay. Or would you like me to start? No, I want to start. Because yours are going to need to live in the wake of my yeah. anger that I'm about to unleash. 
My first rant is there's a disturbing trend taking place in American hotels. This is the switching out of the already lame-ass coffee maker that they give you in your hotel room. Because it's like a one cup, probably mold-encrusted, and you only get little desiccated milks. Somehow you have to refrigerate your milk, but this stuff lasts forever. That's bad enough, but at least you can make yourself a freaking cup of coffee prior to having your room service breakfast arrive. And I listen, I understand this is a first world problem that I'm indicating. However, there's a disturbing trend, which is replacing that already lame coffee maker with Nespresso machines. Okay. Oh, with like the, the pod little type. pod things. Now, the pod thing doesn't even make a cup of coffee. It makes a shot of espresso. Mm. You can choose the larger serving and you can use several pods in order to get yourself a respectable 10 ounce cup of, I guess, multiple espressos, which you can then vibrate on and pour 13 creamers into yeah, it and four bags is. of sugar to try and make it palatable. You can do that to get your engine going in the morning if you have to. But also this thing sounds like you are grinding a box of rocks. It makes so much fucking noise. I am an American. I don't drink espresso. Yeah. I don't want espresso. If you wanted espresso, you'd go on vacation. I would go live in Italy, but I don't. I want a fucking cup of American coffee when I wake up in the morning. And the last three hotels I've stayed at have these Nespresso machines. I find it a disgusting and disturbing trend. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Now, my second thing is much more um, an everyman complaint. I understand the Nespresso rant probably isn't for everyone. Sure. Have you noticed the new fridges? Like, have you been around a new fridge lately? Uh If you're like me, you forget a lot of stuff. And oftentimes when I'm going into the fridge, I forget what it was that I was there to get because I got distracted by something bright and shiny on a label or something. (laughs) So I go in and I'm like, oh, and I take this thing out and I close the fridge. Then I remember, oh, I was actually going in to get something else. Right. Then I go back to reopen the door. But no. Because it's a modern fridge, the door is sealed as if it's containing life's eternal secrets. And no matter how much you tug on this door, for a few seconds, it will not reopen. Really? You can go try this at the fridge here at the office. This, it, fridges do this now. There's some type of seal that happens, and I don't know why it is. I haven't bothered to look it up. But it irritates me. Is it like a design thing? I'm like, no, no, no. Americans are getting too big. You can't go into the fridge twice within 10 seconds. I always assume it has something to do with some type of coolant shot or suction or like, let's make sure we're sealed here now that you idiot. Now that you got your food to cram it to your face, you're probably not thinking about a nice tight seal. So we're going to do that for you. That's probably what it is. But if you're like me and you're about to reopen it because you forgot what you were there for in the first place. Which, P.S., I think a lot of people do. Next time you're in the fridge, close it and then immediately try to open it again. And you'll see exactly what I'm talking about. No amount of force that you could apply will open the door. Well, and for all you listeners, please, you know, write to us at fullcastandcrewpod at gmail.com if you have theories. Yes. Or if you have actual knowledge, though I guess that would be a little bit off brand. My final rant, have you seen the new Applebee's Loaded Fajitas TV commercial that uses Pat Benatar's Hit Me With Your Best (laughs) Shot? Have you seen this? No, I haven't. I haven't. Now, this is a song. It's not written by Pat Benatar. It's written by a guy. It was originally written from the perspective of a man who is viewing a woman as a potential heartbreaker. But he's saying, you know what? I'm resilient. I'm here for it. Hit me with your best shot. You can't knock me down. I'll keep getting up and I'll keep coming back. Of course, it was sung by Pat Benatar, so they flipped the gender of the protagonist. Yes. So she's saying to a callow, heartbreaking womanizer type, hit me with your best shot. I'm there. If you grew up in the 80s like I did, oftentimes immature males would apply some sexual innuendo that wasn't intended to... The phrase, hit me with your best shot? Yes. 
they would imply more of a male ejaculatory meaning to the song, which is not intended by the songwriter. Got you understand know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a little backstory. The other day I'm watching ESPN and they air this commercial, which I'm going to play for you. And I want you to watch and notice what happens at the lyric shot to the food. Applebee's new loaded fajitas. That is an intentionally fucked up commercial. It can't be unintentional. There's no way when you do a commercial, so many people have to pass judgment on it in the process. And one of them's got it. Like someone's got to go make that association. Like, but you know the old thing, like in the old Pepsi and Coca-Cola print ads, they would always say in the ice cubes or whatever, you would see naked ladies or something. That was like <laughs> it was an urban myth. Yeah, because they're like using sex to sell subliminally. This is not subliminal. It's pornographic for crying out loud. It's no, an, I see it. It's I an ejaculatory, see it. white ejaculatory substance right, going on the fajitas. Stop saying ejaculatory. <laughs> but I'm not making it up, right? You're not making it okay. up. Okay. You're absolutely not That's making it up. That's all I'm saying. They would say, like, get your mind out of the gutter. Those are some it's of the things just, driving this me crazy. Case. Those are kind of some of the things driving me crazy this week. <laughs> Espresso machines, some. locking fridges, and Applebee's. Sounds like you're hungry. Do you have any rants and raves? A few quick ones. Did you know Gary Busey is going to be in an off-Broadway musical? Is it going to be the off-Broadway musical version of Point Break? No. Oh, damn. He's going to play God. Oh, Have you ever heard of? It's something called uh, Only Human. Gary Busey will play God. uh, Only Human opening off-Broadway as well. God is everything love is, and that love becomes the beginning of blessings and miracles, Busey said in a statement. Playing the role of God is easy (laughs) because I'm not acting. I'm just believing. Hmm. You come see it, and you'll believe it too. I don't. Uh, I I think this is sad. I think this is putting someone with brain damage on display, akin to like a a, a circus act of the 1890s. He did just put out his Buseyisms book. Yeah, you know, Which, could be, but I don't know. He, we should get I a cut of that book, by the way. Uh, so it's a hilarious new musical of biblical proportions. Blah, blah, blah. So this is a rave. Just more like it's exciting. I actually thought it was a nice thing that he was going to be uh, spreading his wings. And then the other thing. <laughs> This is just because, uh, so a couple weeks ago, I taught this uh, a class at Rutgers Writers Conference. Interesting. And the beginning of the conference started with Neil Gaiman giving a talk. And I went and I saw, and he talked a lot about his show, Good Omens, which, you know, listen, everybody's got This is going to be in my headline, so you're stealing my thunder, but okay. Oh, shit. Was well, it's more the, of a headline than a rant and a rave. Well, I was just going <laughs> I thought it was funny. You're right. It is funny. You're absolutely right. But go ahead, tell no, the story. You, well, no, no, you tell so the story. So I went to hear him, uh, hear him speak, and uh, I had literally no interest in the show. Right. Uh, until... And I guess, I, you know, he was saying how much it meant to him because mm-hmm. he and Terry Pratchett had worked on the book. Right. Terry Pratchett died and they had never adapted it. Right. Partially because they wanted to sort of do it together. But Terry Pratchett said, like, please make sure. And so this is one, this is his first time he ever show run, show ran a show. <laughs> or show run. Uh, because in, you know, in other times, other adaptations, he, he was talking quite a bit about how as a collaborator, you allow people to make their changes. But with this one, he was much more strict. So this show came out, and I think the reviews have been positive, and so now I'm interested in seeing it. But the review that got me most interested was the fact that today, thousands petitioned Netflix to cancel Amazon Prime's Good Omens. U.S. Christian group condemns Neil Gaiman and Terry Pratchett's story as making Satanism appear normal, Mm -hmm. but petition wrong company. Christians got it wrong. Yes, which you know, maybe that's the work of the devil. Doesn't the devil work in mysterious before. ways? I read that somewhere in a rock lyric. Well, I know supposedly Gary oh. Busey does. Yeah, but I don't know if the same applies to Satan. Generally, a good idea. Just use the Google box. Have one of your yeah. grandkids show you how to just how once. to type stuff into the internet. Just one. Just quick. make sure you got the right streamer. I know it's confusing. Amazon Prime, 
Netflix, the Fallwell Network, all the stuff that you have at home, at your home, bringing you that great content that you love. The last one, this I guess is a rant. Lindsay Lohan is losing her MTV show and her mm, Mykonos nightclub. I saw that. I didn't want to throw any more dirt on the Lilo career, but you, you know, go I, ahead and do it, Chris. Well, the thing you got your shovel ready. <laughs> <laughs> Take that. Take no, that, the Lilo. Thing, the quote that I read was, there was a renewal idea that producers hoped would perk it up for a second season, said a source close to the production. It would be turned into a show about Lindsay and her mother, Dina, and sister, Allie. The show didn't have enough drama, the source added. They wanted breakdowns. That's not where Lohan is with her life anymore. Yeah. And I was thinking, like, the very fact that the producers were wanting to encourage, like, hey, could you go back to the bad behavior yeah. you used to that yeah. got you into this mess? Yeah. And good for her, This shows them, some growth. For being like... <laughs> No. And it made me think specifically of when we did Escape to Witch Mountain. Yes. And Dr. Phil's, you know, again, not nothing against Dr. Phil, but yeah. Kim Richards, her lowest yes. points being fodder for reality television. Yes. Good for Lindsay Good for, for kind of stopping. Maybe it's time point. for Parent Trap 2. <laughs> huh? Um, let's move on to headlines. Yes. Headlines. Um, I have a great one. I just have one. Uh, did you know, Chris that young people, because of their over-reliance on cell phones, are developing horns at the back of their skulls. I had heard that. There's a headline today in the Washington Post. Horns are growing on young people's skulls. Phone use is to blame, research suggests. Let me reiterate. This is the Washington Post. This, yeah. is, this, <laughs> this is, is not the Washington Times this is not the Guardian. or the New York Post. Okay, which has become a cesspool of clickbait, by the yeah. way. I don't know how that occurred. New research in biomechanics suggests that young people are developing horn-like spikes at the back of their skulls. Bone spurs are being caused by the forward tilt of the head, which shifts weight from the spine to the muscles at the back of the head, causing bone growth in the connecting tendons and ligaments. Wow. The result is a hook or horn-like feature jutting out from the skull just above the neck. And they're calling it text neck. Wow. So you know what? Fuck you, millennials. Wow. It's, it's just enough. Now you're altering our body chemistry. Take your Nespresso's, take your cell phones, and get the fuck out of here. Don't kid yourself. It was boomers who put those Nespresso's in those things. It's not like some millennials like, hmm, I wonder what. No, I think they drink company. Nespresso's. They oh. saw the George Clooney ads. He means a lot to them. <laughs> yeah, he does. He, he's a kid, right? <laughs> I guess you're right. The Nespresso campaign is like Clooney and Andy Garcia. Yeah. So I guess it's marketing more to me than the millennials. Not, not even you. There, there are people older. I want volume. Are you supposed to sip it slowly in the amount of time it would take you to consume an entire 10-ounce cup of coffee? Is that what, you're, what are you supposed to do with I mean, the my under, I mean, I think you're supposed to sit you drink it like, like a shot. eight until one. <laughs> And make that one, one shot last. It's about self-control. Who wants to have that? <laughs> self-control. I want to gulp it back and I want an endorphin hit at the base of my horn-growing skull. It's the text neck. They wouldn't grow it if they were tilting their head back to take the shots properly. But look, it's exciting, though. Everything is speeding up, including evolution. Like the fact that we true. developed those horns in what? You know, a uh, device just, that's just, only a quarter just, of a century old. Yeah. That's all I got for you, Chris. Are we going to do TV Guide or are we... Oh, Trust me, we can skip it. I'm fading myself, but... Um, no, we'll do a quick uh, latchkey Great. TV. Hello? The first one is I was reminded, and I'm looking at a TV guide from uh, September 1985 with Michael J. Fox on the cover. Some of the headlines, because, of course, a lot of people consult a TV guide for their news. TV and the hostage crisis in perspective. You would go to TV Guide to read some in-depth yeah. quality reporting. But were there payoffs to terrorists? How fair was the reporting? Was TV a good or bad influence? A special report 
on the hostage, I guess is the Iran hostage crisis. And then, of course, good question. to counter that, Michael J. Fox penned an actor's journal on how England survived the family ties invasion, because as you may or may not know, a stunt episode of family ties took place in which the whole gang went over to merry old London, stalked by spies, chased by Scotland Yard, <laughs> caught with a deadly hairbrush, Will the Keaton's London vacation destroy an empire? Spoiler alert, no. Jolly good world premiere movie. Some lame wow. American promotions That's a there. lot of and cliches you know crammed into one two-hour movie. 35 years later, the payback is I got to have an espresso machine in my fucking <laughs> hotel room. Okay. Anyway, some good old-fashioned American entertainment that takes place in America. I was reminded of Scarecrow and Mrs. King. Kate Jackson and Bruce Boxleitner. Uh, you would not see this now. One everyday housewife who put some spies in her life. Spies. Oh, life. yeah, yeah. A homemaker finding excitement. An agent who's found some help. Together, they're television's hottest couple. Did you never see uh, Scarecrow Mrs. King? No. That's the concept. Somehow this like suburban housewife gets involved in his spying. Seemed fun. Seems fun. I think my time. mom probably did that. Yeah? Was she I spy? assume. I assume. Did you ever like meet people and do secret drops? Not that she's told me. I'm going to skip ahead to 4 p.m. because that's when I get some good uh, subject lines. I'd like to shout out Alex Potter, who was our guest on uh, the Mean Girls episode. Absolutely. Remember, we had Got the whole contratemps where actually you and I stood corrected and stand corrected over our ignorance of the global phenomena children's book experience <laughs> of the whatever the fucking thing. The, the boxcar, boxcar children. children, right? Yeah. You and I never heard of. Never heard of. Oh, what? Well, come to find it. out on the internet. Oh, boy. Did we ever hear about it? Because of that, I'm going to go back in time, and at 4 p.m. I'm going to watch Littlest Hobo on HBO. A young girl escapes from an orphanage and hitchhikes across the country with a retired man. Part one of two. What could go wrong? Then again, you know, Chris, me and me, I'm going to watch KRP in Cincinnati at 4.30. Johnny, Howard Hessman. Sure. Accidentally offers listeners $5,000 instead of $50 as a radio contest prize. Andy, Gary Sandy. Gary Sandy did a lot of yeoman work on KRP. Like the showy role was like Johnny Fever and Les Nessman yes. and Herb and- uh, Venus Flytrap. Venus Flytrap, Lonnie Anderson. Like they all had really, they were sort of the, the ones that got all the attention. But you know, without Andy, or really Andy's hair and jeans, <laughs> do you have much of a show? Well, that's what I was trying to think. Like wh what was he besides just like the other guy? Yeah, and what was There's, he ever again after that? Uh, I literally don't see anything. Seriously? Yeah, nothing. But well, he didn't on. die, did he? Let me be a real downer. Great. Oh, hang on. I tried searching by his name. Oh. Gary Sandy, uh, 1945, still alive, known for, oh, he was in The Insider. What? That um, oh, yeah, Michael Mann movie? He was in that. He was You're right. Sandifer's lawyer. Yes. Oh, my God. Okay. I've watched that movie, Chris, literally probably 30 times. And when you said that, I know exactly who he is. I never once connected him to real yeah. Gary Sandy. And he even still has the hair in the movie. Oh, really? Yes. <laughs> what well, was a period that's a, piece? That's incredible that I never figured that out. Yeah. Wow. I'm going to watch it again for that alone. Uh, let's see. People's Court, 530. Always good. Always definitely, good. Definitely Judge Wapner. Case involving missing puppies. Didn't you have that last week? 
Mm. I feel like that's familiar. There was one about cats and- Oh, right. Like a, and a cake that was not baked. Then at 7.30, I'm gonna skip ahead to Three's Company, which is just a bizarre storyline. Jack, John Ritter, huh. worries when the girls give their visiting former roommate an enthusiastic welcome. So I guess like an episode predicated upon Jack being threatened that they're gonna get rid of him for oh, their former yeah. roommate. Like, oh my God, we had so much fun. Why do we let this guy live with us? We had three girls, we were living it up. Get out of here, you penis. That's what I think that he was worried about Probably. happening. Yeah. yeah. Well, I hope they did it as internal monologue. <laughs> All you hear is after you hear that enthusiastic hello, yes. the rest of it is just within his head. Like, why is she doing that? True. Do they not want me here? Maybe I should have stayed in the Navy. And I think that's enough from me. It would, what are, I mean, the ads in this one are fantastic. I just wanted to flip through because you have like Mr. Roper. Yeah. Call all your friends for Three's Company. And it's just a great, or Furley rather, Mr. Furley. That's Ralph Furley. Oh, right. The Ropers are the... Um, Ropers is uh, Norm... What's his name? Norman Lear? No. Norm McDonald? No. No. <laughs> <laughs> now I don't feel so bad. I don't feel so bad. The guy who was in The Graduate. No, no. He's not Mr. Roper. Yeah. No, 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 no. Norman Fell. And yes, Norman Fell was in The Graduate. He's somebody who's like showing... This is Norman Fell. That's Mr. Roper. Yes. But he wasn't in The Graduate. He was the guy who shows um, Dustin off in the apartment. Oh, Okay. Well, this is Ralph Furley. Right. And that guy is um, from the Andy Griffith Andy show. Andy Griffith show. That's... What's his name? God damn it. <laughs> oh, this uh, is why we got to cap it. Super listeners said, I love when you guys look shit up in real time. Uh, and they'll, they'll soon disabuse themselves of that notion. I've already like, what are we even looking at? Who? Chris has to look it up <laughs> on a port. At least I have a keyboard. Poor Chris is doing it on an iPad. Yeah, I know. I know. What the hell is that guy's name? Barney Fife. Uh, Don Knotts. Don Knotts. Yeah. I not <laughs> Jesus. All right, that's it. That's all I got. I got to go. Until next week, if anyone's accusing you of, say, murder, do your best not to give the haters any ammo. Let them see what kind of a person I am. I'm not even going to swat that fly. I hope they are watching. They'll see. They'll see and they'll know. And they'll say, why, she wouldn't even harm a fly. Thanks for listening to Full Cast and Crew. I uh, just wanted to remind everyone to subscribe if you haven't already, so you'll get a new episode every Thursday. And uh, we'd love to hear from you. So email us at fullcastandcrewpod at gmail.com, or you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at, at fullcastandcrew, or find us on Facebook.